Well, good morning again, Wallace e. Church family. Pastor Josh here, and again recording a video for you outside behind the church. And you're like, hey, I thought you did this last week. I did. And you're like, well, why didn't you tell us that you were doing it again? Because I know how you work, and if I'd have told you it was just going to be a video, you may not have come. So I'm glad you're here. I tricked you. But next week, actually, we'll be live. It'll be Doc Rock, uh, Dr. Rock LaJoya from Grace Seminary, and he'll be in Psalm 111. Today, though, we are in Psalm 20. So if you've got your Bible, you've got an app, go ahead and get that opened up and turn over there with me. Um, I'm just, I just finished up my bike ride uh, across Iowa this week, Lord willing. Hopefully I did. I guess you know more than I do right now. So um, hopefully all that turned out great, and uh, Lord willing, uh, then heading up to Wisconsin and then to see my family, my brothers in the Twin Cities and Minneapolis, Minnesota for a couple days and then eventually making my way back. So uh, thanks again for your prayers and uh, just the grace you give me to be able to be away for a couple weeks and to be able to teach you like this. You know, I mentioned it as I prayed uh, during our last message that uh, really this is the way Paul would have probably taught and written the New Testament if he he had video cameras. We might all be watching videos all the time instead of uh, reading the text. And we could see exactly what he said. And that's the way he would have communicated likely to these churches. But anyway, enough with that. Today we're in Psalm 20. And when I knew I was going to be gone and knew I was going to be recording videos for you, um, I really deliberately picked this psalm out. Now the reason for that, uh, hopefully you'll see as we get going, but is really the events of these last two weeks. Uh, Have you paid any attention to what's been going on? Uh, There's been a couple big things uh, called political conventions happening over the last two weeks. And a lot of people, they've they've looked at those conventions and uh, they've gotten all riled up on one side or the other. I don't know which side you're on. It doesn't matter a whole lot, to be honest with you, but, but whichever side you're on, at least in the end, in any case, you probably have feelings of anxiety and probably feelings of hope. Um, you probably have hope that maybe things will be made right or hope in a candidate or a party that uh, will make things right. But where should your hope be? You know, we're entering into a season uh, of this election where uh, this could be one of the ugliest ones ever. It's already been pretty ugly. And we've got to make sure we've got our focus right heading into this time as a church. Because if we don't, We'll see from this psalm, things won't go well if we put our trust in the wrong place. So we'll turn over to Psalm 20, and as you're doing that, I'll give you a, a brief introduction here to the psalm. This is a what's known as a royal psalm, and there's a handful of royal psalms in the book of Psalms. And what royal psalms are is they simply uh, display or explain some aspect of kingship in Israel. And in this case, we're going to see David, the king. He's the one who wrote this psalm, we're told. And David is going to be, uh, he, he wrote this psalm as a psalm to sing before they went out to battle. And in the first uh, five, five verses, uh, all the people are singing and praying for David to God, uh, for victory, for wisdom, for him as their leader and their commander as they go off into battle, that God would provide victory. And then in verses 6 through 8, and, and in verse 9, then David... David responds to them and displays his faith and his trust in the Lord. But David's about to go to war here. And before he does, before he does, he stops by the temple. He stops by the sanctuary to pray and to seek God's face. 
So before we dive into the text, let's do that together. Let's let's stop, um, calm our hearts, and seek God's face and see what he might have to say to us today through Psalm 20. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace through him. Thanks for the privilege we get to be able to trust you because of him. Lord, the truth is that this is a stressful time in our country. It's a it's a frustrating time, to be real honest, to see the way people fight and uh, get angry with one another and turn on one another. There's not a lot of unity between all people during this time, and I believe that breaks your heart. But Lord, there are important things going on, important arguments to be made, and important decisions to be made about the future for our country and for our people. Lord, would you teach us as a church to put our trust not in a politician, not in a party, not in any other circumstance of life, but Jesus in you? Jesus, to look to you as our leader, to find our citizenship and our hope in heaven and our identity in you, not in a political party. And not in anything else for that matter. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd use me and teach through me today uh, that you might uh, make me more like Jesus and give me a heart that seeks more after him and not after the things of this world. And I pray against the enemy. He He seeks to kill and destroy and to come into our church and cause disunity, to divide us against one another. He hates when we're united united Jesus around you and what you would have but Holy Spirit you're greater and and you're greater in us than than he who's in the world you've you've overcome the world Jesus so teach us set our eyes straight and Holy Spirit I pray you would do what only you can do and give our church unity and peace and joy protect us now I pray in Jesus name Amen but we're in Psalm 20, and this psalm is, uh, it begins, I told you, it begins with all the people praying together. And really, it's, it's this intercessory type of prayer. And these types of prayers would have been read together aloud. So, so maybe a good thing for me would have been to put a prayer up on the screen and to have you read it aloud together, interceding uh, for things In this case, they're interceding for their king. They're making a petition, verses 1 through 5, for God's help for their king. So I've given you a brief outline. You can write some of your own notes in. Um, But let's just work through this psalm together and see what the Spirit might teach us. Psalm 20. There's some notes at the beginning of the psalm telling us what it's about, who wrote it. Well, it's to the choir master. It's a psalm of David. It's to be sung. Verse 1, may the Lord, here's the people singing first, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble, the choir sings. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. See, David's heading out to war, and the people that he leads, they pray to God to help him in the day of trouble, it says. Do you see that? In the day of trouble. What's the day of trouble? Well, they're going to war. That sounds like a troubling time to me. It's a day of trouble. David's is war. What's your day of trouble? Have you thought about that? What's your day of trouble? I bet you could think of something right away that comes to your mind. For David, it's war. What is it for you? What do you need help with this week, this month, this year? What's been really hard? 
Um, what's on the horizon that scares you, that stresses you, that brings you sorrow? What's your day of trouble? You know, just like these people pray for David to give him help in the day of trouble, I, I pray for you and I pray for me that we would find our help in the Lord in our day of trouble. Because really, he's the only source of help that's really any help. I mean, there's some things that are helpful maybe for a time, but but ultimately, God's the only one who can help forever and fix things for good. May he answer you in your day of trouble, whatever it is this week. But, but see, the key is, are you willing to trust him? Because we're going to find out that they pray for David, but then David trusts him. So... so So pray to God in your day of trouble, but then trust him. See, they say, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Well, who's, what's the name of the God of Jacob? Who's the God of Jacob? Well, when Moses asks what his name is so that he can go tell Pharaoh in Exodus, God, what does he say? He says, "Uh, you tell him that I am has sent you in Hebrew. That word that, that says I am is Yahweh. Yahweh means I am. I exist. I be is, is really the, literally what it is. I, I be. Here I am. Here I am. I exist. That's who I am. You tell him, I'm the God who exists. I'm Yahweh. Well, that's the name of the God of Jacob. And in, in his name, there's promises made to God's people to protect them, to help them in the time of trouble, to, to help them and win and fight their battles for them. And they're praying for David. They're like, may the name of the God of Jacob, may his name, may may he protect you, the true God. This idea of the name, though, God signed his name to a covenant to love and care for his people. You you ever sign your name for something? Why do you do that? If it's in your name, it's it's your word. It's your guarantee. You sign a note. to the bank with your name because then it's saying, yeah, I agreed to do this. And God's name was on his people. His name was on his covenant. And they're saying, may the name of the God of Jacob, in other words, may God keep his promise. May God keep his promise. God, keep your promise. You're the only hope for David. You're the only hope for us. You know, one way to think about this idea of God's name being over his people and his name protecting us, uh, might be to think about maybe one way I, I thought about it this week anyway is maybe you think about it like getting a reservation at a hotel and you go to the hotel and what do you do when you get to the desk you say I've got a reservation what do they ask under under whose name is it whose name is it under and you tell them if it's your name or you tell them if somebody else booked it for you maybe it's under their name and unless you have that right name there, there's no place for you to stay there because you're you're under their name, it's been secured by their name. Your night at the hotel, your your dwelling place for the evening for the week is secured in their name. Well, your dwelling place, your security for eternity, is secured under the name of Jesus. See, uh, Peter tells the people in Acts chapter four that there's only one name under heaven by which you can be saved. It's the name of the God of Jacob, who Jesus says, uh, I, before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, uh, I am Yahweh. He says it in, in, uh, in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, Jesus was telling them, my name is Yahweh. 
I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. They were about to pick up stones to stone him, and, and Jesus made off, and they didn't get him. But there's only one name under heaven by which you may be saved, by which you can be protected. That's any help for you in the day of trouble. And that name is Jesus. See, you're either under his name or you're under your own. And if you're under your own name, you're in a lot of trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. Repent. Turn to Jesus. Trust him. Come in under his name. In, in Christ, not in Adam. Well, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May the name of Jesus protect you. Verse 2, may he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he send you help. See, your help, it comes from Jesus. It comes from God. It comes from the Lord. From the sanctuary, the psalmist writes, give you, David writes, give you support from Zion. The sanctuary is just the, it means the holy place. It's in that day in the temple was where God uh, dwelt. Uh, Zion is the hill on which the temple was built. Uh, It's in Jerusalem. Uh, And in other words, these two are used synonymously with one another. And the idea is, may God give you help from his very presence. May the very presence of God go with you and help you being sent forth to you to help you David that's my prayer for you may the very presence of Jesus be your help may he be your help to help him personally to help you personally look at verse 3 may he remember may he Yahweh remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices to regard with favor, that means literally, if, if this was translated literally from the Hebrew, it would be uh, to make fat. <laughs> to, to literally to make fat. That is to consider them a really fine offering, a really great sacrifice. In other words, they're saying, God, see my heart. Look upon my offering and my sacrifices with favor. Uh, you know that I love you. You know that I serve you. You know uh, that we look to you for life. See, offerings and sacrifices in that day were a way to show devotion to God. Offerings were a way to to show God, you know, you'd offer back your grain or your wealth, and you'd say, God, ultimately it all belongs to you, so out of the first fruits of everything that I get, I'm giving back. And then sacrifices of of animals and burnt offerings and and blood sacrifices uh, were to atone for sin, to, to make people right with God. Atonement, maybe you think of it this way, at one mint. At one mint, atonement, that you're made to be at one with God. Things are made right with the Lord. Well, their sacrifices, those blood sacrifices, ultimately pointed forward to Jesus' blood sacrifice on the cross once and for all so that no more sacrifices would need to be made. Now, we still make offerings. We still give of our time, talent, treasure uh, to express our belief that God owns it all and that he's in control. But in that sacrifice, he looks upon us with favor. Then notice, what's it say at the end of verse 3? It says, Selah. I told you before, but Selah just is a is a Hebrew word. It's a musical term. Nobody knows 100% what it means, but likely that it means to pause. Just stop here for a second. Let the music play. Quit singing. And think about what you just sung. Think about what you just read. Maybe as you read uh, the text in the Psalms, when you come to the word Selah, stop. Slow down. Look back at what you just read. Read it again. Think on it. 
talk to God about it in prayer and just dwell on it. God, what are you saying to me here? And they go to verse 4. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Now, you know that I'm kind of weird, but one of the things that, like when I read this, you know what, I'll be honest with you, you know where my mind goes first is, is Napoleon Dynamite. And Pedro gets up in front of all the people and he says, uh, vote for me, right? And, and all your wildest dreams will come true, he says. It kind of sounds like that. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. That's a good summary of all the promises during the conventions the last two weeks. Vote for the Republicans. Vote for Trump. Vote uh, for the Democrats. Vote for Hillary. Vote vote for the Green Party. Vote for this person. And all your dreams will come true. All your plans will be fulfilled. But guess what? They're not in control of those things. God's the one who's sovereign. He's the one who's in control. And with all due respect to any leader of any nation, no matter how good and benevolent and great they are, no matter how influential, how wonderful, they're never going to be able, them or anyone else in your life, not just a ruler, but anyone in your life, no person is ever going to be able to fulfill the desires of your heart and fulfill all your plans. The only one who can do that is the Lord. Only God can do this. You might think someone can do it, and they might think they can do it. But the Bible actually says if they think that, they're a fool. Because truly, God is the only one who can grant your desires, who can fulfill your plans. Look, may He grant grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans Proverbs makes this clear, 16 verse 9, The heart of, plan, heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs twenty twenty four: A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? In Psalm 37, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. You've heard me say that a lot, haven't you? That if you would delight in the Lord, then live it out. That that ought to be the pattern of our lives. To delight in God, to slow down, to just have joy, to trust Him, and to let Him work out His good pleasure in our life. I really like that one. I love Psalm 37. If you go read through it, that theme comes up over and over. In in verse 4 of Psalm 37, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll grant you the desires of your heart. Or to quote Pedro, he'll make all your wildest dreams come true. Now you're going, "Ah, okay, but I've delighted myself in the Lord, and I haven't had all my wildest dreams come true. I haven't had all my plans fulfilled, Josh. In fact, um, all my plans have been very much not fulfilled since I've trusted the Lord. Well, you may make plans, but the Lord establishes your steps. He's the one in control. The key is, will you delight in him? See, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus said it like this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. But pay attention to the pattern. Delight first, and then God gives you those things. Offerings and sacrifices, verse 3 of of Psalm 20, and then verse 4, the desires of your heart and your plans. See, God isn't a genie in the bottle that you just rub and, oh, I'm delighting in you, God. Now give me all the desires of my heart. Make all my dreams come true. Maybe a better way to understand it 
to understand, like like Psalm 37, verse 4, and even this passage, is that I delight myself in the Lord, and He gives me the desires of my heart. But maybe a better way to think of it is He gives my heart desires. He causes me to begin to desire His desires. He, he causes me to love what He loves. And suddenly now my plans are not my plans, but they're His plans. And my desires of my heart aren't my desires, but they're really God's desires that the Holy Spirit has planted in me. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you all the desires of your heart. They pray for David. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all of your plans. May he give you favor in all that you've planned. May he give you victory. Verse 5. Then they say what their response is going to be. They say, may we shout for joy over your salvation. They pray to God. God, we pray you'd save David, that you'd deliver him, that you would give him victory, that we might have joy and that we might celebrate. And in the name of our God, set up banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions, they pray. This idea of setting up banners. Uh, they're saying, uh, we get joy, David, when you win as our leader. We get joy uh, when we rejoice in your victories that God gives. We give glory to God for your victories. To set up banners is to declare victory. Uh, I had the, the great privilege to be last year at, at the Cubs game, uh, the end of the division series, uh, when uh, they won their first postseason series in about forever. And, and one of the things they gave you for the postseason is as you walked in the gates, Hannah and I were there, they handed out these towels. And they're white. I have it, I have it in my office if you ever stop by sometime. And it's hanging on my bookshelf. And it's white and it has this blue W in it. Because every time after the Cubs win at Wrigley, they raise this banner of victory that has a big W on it so that you know, hey, the Cubs won. Well, everybody had these banners and they're just swinging them like crazy. And it's just everybody's raising their banner for the Cubs. Go, Cubs, go. But look what the psalmist says, what they sing. Let us set up, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. That we declare victory not for the Cubs, but for the Lord. For the Lord. See, when they would go out to battle, they would carry these victory banners, and they'd they'd go ahead of them into battle, and they'd rally around them, and then they'd go out and, and fight, and then they'd bring them back home with all the spoils. And if you saw the victory banner coming back, that meant, hey, they won. They won, man. The Lord gave victory. And, and they're saying, listen, it isn't about us. It's about the Lord. All of this is pointing to the Lord. They had these victory songs that they would sing as they came back. At Wrigley, they sing that song, Go Cubs Go, right? It plays, when you came back from battle in the name of the Lord, there was victory songs and psalms. Uh, Psalm 24 and 98 are examples of these. In fact, the song uh, that we sing often as a church, Greatly to be Praised, has a lot of its roots in Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. Lift up his name with joyful praise. Sing of his sweet salvation. Morning to night, day to day. We're singing the Psalms. We're singing victory Psalms. Victory songs. We're raising the banner of victory to our God and waving his flag. Well, at this point, then the psalm takes a shift because next David expresses his faith in God's ability to grant that victory. See, they've been praying for God to give victory. Remember the setting? David's about to go out to battle. Everybody's praying for him as their leader. And, and then he, he stands up and he expresses his faith. 
and his trust in God alone for victory. Look at verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. So there's two things happening here. One, David is expressing his trust in the Lord and his faith in the Lord. But the second thing is we're seeing a really good leader in David. Because by expressing that faith, expressing that trust, he's building the faith of his people. He's building the trust in the Lord of his people. It's good leadership. Now, I know the Lord saves is written here. This is an expression of confidence that God will save, that God will give the victory. And again, that expression probably gave faith to the people. Dad, Mom, when you express confident faith in God before your kids, you give them confidence to express confident faith in God. When God provides for you in your day of trouble... When he provides for you in your day of peace, whatever it is, when you express thanksgiving and confident faith in the Lord, that builds the faith of your children. They're watching you. They're watching you. Be like David. I know that the Lord saves. He will answer him, he goes on to write, from his holy heaven. He has confidence that God not only hears, but he answers and will save. How? With the saving might of his right hand. In other words, with his power. It's not just going to be like a skin of your teeth victory. It's going to be God's power and victory. God's the one with the power to save and to answer. And David's confidence is in God alone for victory. You know, I keep mentioning this summer that this fall, our church is going to be 30 years old. Can you believe that? Last week we talked about God's sustaining power in our note to self. That was one of our notes but in Psalm 104. But think about his sustaining power to sustain our church for 30 years. Some of you were younger than me when you helped plant this church. I'm 38 years old. You were in your early 30s, maybe in your 20s, and you helped plant this church. You had great faith. You stepped out in faith to trust the Lord. You had confidence like David did, and you said, now I know the Lord saves. I know he's going to provide the victory. This is his church, not mine. You know, I keep mentioning to you as we hit the fall, we're going to have an opportunity to step out in faith like that again. We're going to be sharing with you some plans for our facility. It'll be sometime uh, early in the fall. I'm not exactly sure when yet, but, but we'll be sharing those with you. And it's going to be an opportunity to express our faith, some facility improvements, but also just to go on a journey together to build God's kingdom here. And the temptation is going to be to look at that and go, oh, that's too much. I can't do it. That, that's overwhelming. I don't think we can come through. I, I wonder if that was David's thought and the people's thought at first as they headed out into battle. I mean, if they had gone on their own and they hadn't spent time singing this song and praying to God, if they would have seen the enemy and went, um, <sighs> there's no way. There's no way that's going to happen. It's going to cost too much money. It, it, it's never, it, it's just, there's no way. And you know, right, you know what, when, when we would look at that, and when we get to this spot this fall, we're going to look at it, and we would be right to say, there's no way we can do it. There's no way. That's absolutely right. But do you know who can? God can. And God can grant the victory. And, and if we step out in faith and trust him and put confident faith in God to provide and to build his church, this is Jesus' church, he can do incredible things here. But we've got to step out in faith and trust him.
And that's what David's doing. He's stepping out in faith. He's declaring his faith, and then he's going to go to battle. And after his expression of faith, David lays out kind of the two options of either faith or no faith. Or really, it's the two options of what you put your faith in. Look at verse 7. You'll know this verse. Uh, David says, uh, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See, there's two options. There's, there's some who trust in chariots and there's some who trust in horses. That's option number one. Option one is trusting in chariots and horses. It's, it's ultimately, it's trusting in man. It's trusting in ourselves. That's what David's saying. Trusting in what we see. Trusting in what we can do on our own. Trusting in what we have. In our chariots, in our horses, in our armor, in our strength, in our finances. Remember, David's off to war. Chariots and horses were symbols of war. They were vital to war in that time. And and they're elements of that. And they're powerful tools that if you had them, you'd want them rather than not have them because they'd help you win wars if you had better chariots and, and better horses. But ultimately, they saved no one on their own. If you just parked the horse and the chariot over there, that that doesn't mean you're going to win the battle. They're symbols of security. And I might look at it and go, oh, look at that chariot, look at that horse. Yeah, we're going to win. But unless there's somebody to to lead the battle, to to, to manage the chariot, to to drive the horse forward into battle, and and then to, to strike the enemy with the spear, it's just eye candy. It's just like a little kid's security blanket. It makes you feel better, but it really doesn't do anything. David says that some people are trusting in chariots and horses, in their own skill, in their own might. But then he says there's a second option. He says that's not for us, though. No, 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 not us. For we trust in the Lord our God. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. There that is the name again. He's the one who's guaranteed the victory. He's the one who's going to win. But we trust in the name of the Lord. That's a big but. But we. David redirects his eyes. He goes from the chariots to the Lord. And he redirects the hearts of the eyes of his people from from what they have and what they can't do to what no 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 what, what God is going to do. Chariots and horses are great, but our hope is in the Lord. Our trust is in the Lord. This reminds me of Proverbs twenty one thirty one. Right, the horse is made ready for battle. Men prepare the horse for battle. They prepare the chariots for battle. But victory belongs to who? The Lord. The Lord grants the victory. Proverbs twenty one verse thirty one. So you can make all the plans you like, but unless the Lord's in it, it's a waste of time. We studied that in Psalm 121. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Again, for us, as we we get into the fall, if we're just doing this out of our own might and our own strength and, and what we can do, and we're not giving our hearts to the Lord and trusting him in faith, it's such a waste of time. Let's pack it up now. Just put those plans away and forget it. Now we got to trust in the Lord. He's the one who builds his church, who builds his house. In the case of David, that psalm applies as well. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's the Lord who grants the victory. So this begs a big question for you and for me. What are you trusting in? David says there's two options. Chariots and horses. In other words, your own strength and might. Or the name of the Lord your God. 
what are your chariots? I've been asking myself that this week. What are my chariots? Is it, is it your bank account? Maybe it's your job, your family, your kids, your spouse. Is your security a chariot for you? Are you trusting in horses? What are some of the horses you're trusting in? Is it your possessions, your home, your health? Again, we're coming off a couple big weeks. Maybe it's your political party or a political candidate that you're trusting in. And that's the horse you're riding. You know, we're coming off a couple of intense political weeks. If you haven't noticed, there's a big election going on. And it's been ugly, and it's going to get uglier. And if you haven't noticed, let us know, because we'll give you a crowbar and free you from underneath that that rock you've been living under. Because it is everywhere. And it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. There's been a lot of chariots uh, uh, rolled out in front of us the last couple weeks. A lot of horses that we could trust in. They all sound shiny. They all sound powerful. They all sound good. But which is legit? Which, which, which one do I really put my trust in? Which person do I, do I vote for? Uh, who do I trust? Has it come up with your family yet at dinner? Isn't that annoying? Well, maybe maybe not in your family. Maybe you all see it the same way. But if I got everybody in my family and my extended family together, it'd be a huge fight. It would be ugly. It'd be ugly because there's people on all different sides of everything. Maybe it's come up in your 110 group. Which horses or chariots are you trusting in? You know, I really hope that, that your trust isn't in a political party or in a candidate. I hope it's not. And if it is, it's likely after the last two weeks that your life is marked by a few things right now. It's marked by anxiety. It's uh, anxiety, what's going to happen? Biting my fingernails, you know, how's this going to work out? It's marked by frustration, maybe with the other side that you don't agree with. You only have, you have a little bit of hope, but it's a timid hope because you're really not sure what's going to happen. Maybe your life is marked with anger at the other candidate or other party or at the people who support them, which is even worse. Your blood pressure is probably higher if your trust is in the chariot of a political party and the horse of their political candidate. Your love for others is probably down if that's where your trust is. See, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I would commend to you during this election, keep your eyes on Jesus. Not a political party, not a candidate. Jesus. You're like, man, I wish he was on the ballot. I I wish I could vote for him. Yeah. You know what the truth is, though? If Jesus was listed as somebody you could vote for, we would never put him in office. We would never elect him. That's why when Jesus comes back, it's not going to be an election. Uh, He's coming as a dictator, a benevolent dictator, to rule and reign and set up his kingdom. And that'll be a good day. No more elections. Just Jesus says, here's how it is. And that's how it is. And it's perfect. That'll be a good day. So that's where my trust is. Seek his kingdom first. Not this one. Care about this one. Pray for this one. Serve this one. Be involved in this one. Because Jesus is not just the king uh, of, of, of some kingdom. He's the kingdom king of all kings of all kingdoms. He's the ruler of all. So he cares about our nation. He cares about our rulers. He cares about what happens. He cares that you serve it and love it and care for people in his name. And remember to 
to care for people, but don't be political. <laughs> don't put your, in other words, don't put your trust in a person or in a party or in a policy. Put your trust in Jesus. See, here's the danger. I wrote this down that's in front of us. When we place our trust in the chariot of a political party and the horse of a political candidate, you know what happens? We're, our lives are marked by all those things I listed. And then when we talk to people, instead of trying to win a person, we try to win a point. Instead of trying to win their heart, we try to win an argument. Now, what I'm, I'm not saying I don't want you to pay attention to what's going on. I'm not saying that you shouldn't care. You should pay attention. You should be concerned. You absolutely should. But all of these things are important. Ideas, leaders, everything, elections are important. But there's a big danger, especially today in the day and age that we live in. And the danger is this, that even with the onslaught of so much more information and so many more ways to communicate, you know what's happened? In the age of social media where I, I choose uh, who to follow on Twitter, I, I choose whose uh, information and links to see in my news feed on Facebook, I choose uh, which uh, website I want to go to to get my news, is we've made these intellectual ghettos for ourselves where all we do is we get into an echo chamber and we just hear everything echoing that we agree with. And the chorus gets louder and louder and louder. And then when we step out into another place and, and we engage with, with other people who see things differently. You know what happens? We're like, where did that come from? You guys are out to lunch. You are so messed up. And they think the same of us. And and we, we've heard this rally and, and we become antagonistic with them. And instead of trying to win a person, we try to win a point. And it's deadly. It's deadly for families. It's deadly for communities. It's really deadly for churches. Now, I use this illustration. There's a lot of chariots and horses we could trust in, but I use this illustration because it is so on the front burner of everything going on in in our world right now in North America and the United States, and really for the next number of months, for the rest of this year it will be. It's one of the ugliest uh, campaigns in our history, and it's going to get worse. It's just going to be amped up. And here's why it's such a danger, and here's why I warn about it. Because I don't know if you know it or not, but we've got people on both sides of that fence in the church. The Bible doesn't tell you which party to join politically. Jesus doesn't say, I'm registered as a Democrat. I'm registered as an independent. I'm registered as a Republican. I'm registered as the Green Party or a Libertarian. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't tell you which one. And, and there's... There's Christians who are Democrats. There's Christians who are independents. There's Christians who are Republicans. There's Christians who've, who put their trust and their faith in the blood of Jesus and him alone who are libertarians. All across the spectrum. And the danger for us, and by the way, there's people across the spectrum, not just in the church, capital C, but in our church. In our church. You're like, really? There's people who disagree with what I think? Yeah, there are. There's a lot of them. There's people on different sides of the issue in our church. And what we need to be careful about is that we put our hope in the Lord as a group of people, in Jesus, not in a political candidate, not in chariots and horses. Because when we put our hope in chariots and horses, let's look back at the text. Look what happens when our hope is there. Those who put their hope in chariots and horses, look at verse 8, they collapse and fall. They collapse and fall. 
a national church leader who I respect, who, who studies the church. Um, I heard him uh, report recently, and I think I may have shared this with you before even, but that election years over the last 20, 30 years in North America, there are more churches that close in the six months leading up to and after an election than any other time. There are more churches that split in the six months leading up to and after a presidential election than any other time. Every four years, the church just doesn't seem to grow. If anything, it declines in America. Why do you suppose that is? Well, I think it's because people have put their trust in chariots and horses and not in the name of the Lord their God. And so then when they've done that and when their chariot or horse dies and falls on the finish line, uh, they too collapse and fail and fall apart. Verse 8, they collapse and fall. And, and, and in a church, then, you've got people on both sides of the issue, some who've won, some who've lost, and, and there's this fighting, and you're like, oh, it doesn't bother me. My trust is in the Lord. Really? Then why are you so devastated? Why are you so devastated if your trust is in the Lord? Because he wins in the end. Listen, be involved. You ought to vote. You ought to be informed. Don't live under a rock. Pay attention. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's not be a statistic this year. Let's, let's break the statistics. Let's grow this year. When people come to Wawasee Bible or when they come into contact with people from Wawasee Bible, I hope the narrative that goes back out into our community isn't, oh, those people, they're just a bunch of Republicans. Oh, they're just a bunch of Democrats. Oh, they're just, they're, they're so fired up about this or this or that. You know what I hope the narrative is? They love Jesus and they love me. And I know because of that, that I'm loved. I'm loved by Jesus and I'm loved by them. Loved ones, that only happens when our eyes are on Jesus, when instead of putting our trust in chariots and horses, we put our trust in the name of the Lord, our God. And you need to know as we head into the campaign this fall, you're not going to hear me talk about politics other than to tell you, get your eyes on Jesus. You're not going to hear me introduce a political candidate. So don't come up to me and say, why don't you talk about this candidate? Why don't you talk about this? I'm not going to. Why? Because I want you to put your trust in Jesus, not in a chariot and not in a horse. Uh, we're not going to hand out voter guides. We're not going to do that stuff. Why? Because our king is Jesus. And he's coming back to set up his kingdom here on this earth one day. And until then, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to serve people around me. I'm going to make wise choices when I vote. But, but listen, my eyes are not going to be on the chariot of a political party or the candidate, the horse of a political candidate. My eyes are going to be on Jesus. Let's keep our eyes there. Let's buck the trend. Let's grow this year that people would know they're loved. Because listen, there is so much anxiety during this time. Turn on the news. Watch people fight with one another. Watch the killing that's happening in our nation. Watch the terrorism that's happening around the world. Now, do political candidates potentially affect all those things? Absolutely. So again, make a wise choice. Be informed. But you know what people need more than a, a new president? <laughs> they need a new heart. They need Jesus. And if you're so busy barking about a presidential candidate or a policy that it turns them off, if, if that's all they hear is, is that coming out of your mouth, when are they going to hear the good news of the gospel? Keep your eyes on Jesus.
some trust in chariots, some trust in the Democrats, some trust in the Republicans, some trust in horses, some trust in independents or in the Libertarians or the Green Party or whoever else. But, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Amen. Keep your eyes on him this year and this fall. Well, after saying this, there's a final petition then in verse 9 for God's help. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. It seems like a weird saying. That sounds like something you'd hear in England. You know, save the king. But, But really what they're saying is, Lord, deliver David. Deliver our leader. Give us victory. Save him. Deliver him. That needs to be our prayer for each other, for our church, for this political time, for our nation. And it's only going to happen as we keep our eyes on Jesus. Listen, let me pray, and then uh, we'll call it a morning, take our offering, and uh, head out. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Um, Thanks that he's not on the ballot so that he can't lose the election. Thanks that he's the one who is the king who is the ruler of all, the Lord of all. And one day he's going to come and set up shop. And that's going to be a good day. Father, help us to remember that we're citizens first of your kingdom and then our nation. That we're first Christians and then we're Americans. That that our our allegiance is first, Jesus, to you. Lord, the truth is that... um, As we look around, there is a lot of anxiety and a lot of angst and a lot of things to fear in this world. And the reality is that our nation is in trouble because, Jesus, we need you. Holy Spirit, I pray you might bring revival to our land and and that you might begin it in our church. I pray that, oh God, you might save your people. And that uh, instead of allowing us to become a statistic where we divide and fight and bicker and uh, turn people away during this time, instead, might we be known not by our political stance, but by our love for Jesus and our love for people. Jesus, that's what you've commanded us to do first and foremost, to care about all those issues, to be involved, to vote, to care for our country and to serve it and to do all those things and and that's very very important but Jesus your kingdom is first help us seek your kingdom first and then all of these things will be added to us begin with me I pray thanks for your grace to us I pray for those who've never trusted you Lord that today might be the day they give their heart to you turning from their sin and turning to your son Jesus to be saved There's no other name under heaven by which they can be. And it's in his name I pray all of these things. And all of God's people said, Amen. You're loved. See you in a couple weeks.